Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I am Jeff Burkhart, flying solo as I always do for the midweek opponent preview episode. Now, before I do dive into K-State Senior Day foe, the Baylor Bears, I did want to take a moment to apologize to you, our listeners. I'm the one who bears the brunt of the responsibility here in terms of us not getting out as many episodes over the last couple of weeks. I've had a major career decision that's weighed on me, and I've had an immense amount of difficulty just navigating how I wanted to handle that, but I have come to a decision in terms of how I'm going to proceed as far as my professional life goes. So that being said, we're not going to have any more issues pushing out content for you guys through the remainder of the 2021 regular season and on into the bowl season. K-State, of course, bowl eligible here, having picked up win number six a couple weeks back against the Kansas Jayhawks. And then most recently here this past Saturday, disposing of West Virginia 34 to 17, the final in that game, K-State also exercising some demons, ending a five-game skid to the aforementioned Mountaineers. The Wildcats now getting set to turn their attention to senior day at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Can't believe that the regular season is almost over already, but here we are, K-State getting ready to play host to Baylor, arguably the surprise team in the Big 12 this season, an amazing heel turn by Dave Aranda's bunch after going two and seven in his first year in Waco. They're now sitting at eight and two and very much in the conversation to make it to Arlington and appear in the Big 12 championship game. So let's go ahead and jump into it. I'm pleased to be joined by David Smoke. He covers Baylor for Sikkim365. You can find him on Twitter at David Smoke, S-M-O-A-K. And Smokey, I wanted to lead off with a a question on the coaching staff and most recently departure of Joey McGuire. Him going interconference to Texas Tech has to shake things up a little bit. How has that impact been felt within the Baylor locker room presently? Because I've heard nothing but great things about this guy in terms of his personality and how uh, venerated he was amongst the players and the coaches. After they beat Oklahoma, which was obviously huge because that showed that they washed part of that away, or maybe all of it, I asked Dave Aranda about you know coming off the loss to TCU and then all of a sudden losing what is a, a beloved member of the staff who was not only the guy that recruited some of the players that are playing right now, but also a guy that was just an incredibly popular figure and under Matt Rule and, and then even when he stayed because you know he wanted the job and and then didn't get it and it was kind of a, a, a kind of a, I guess you could say a time period where people are a little bit anxiety over whether he was going to stay, you know, how people get really emotional and very attached to coaches. And I get that, but Dave mentioned this, it was, you know, he's so transparent. It's sometimes pretty amazing to, to, to really listen to him. He said Monday and Tuesday was kind of a, he didn't use the word funk, but you could kind of tell that that might've been uh, as far as maybe even more the coaching staff just because it's just unprecedented what happened. And then then he admitted, and here's a football guru, that he really didn't even had realized like on Wednesday that he had not really watched much film. That doesn't mean he hadn't watched film. He just hadn't watched much film. And he, he kind of said it was tough. Uh, but then he also then said this and says a lot about the senior leadership of this team, even as how much they loved or respected Joey McGuire, that – that the, the, the students were probably the ones teaching the teachers about, let's go. You know, they got Oklahoma. It's a huge game coming off a loss. Let's clear it. You know, you keep telling us there's a 24-hour rule. Let's go. 
And he didn't say that specifically, but that's the impression I got. I spoke with Dave yesterday or Monday, excuse me, Jeff, and and yeah, he, he admitted it, it's just it, it was just kind of a, you know, this is this is unprecedented for a guy to leave the staff, join another program, not only join another program at Texas Tech, but join another program that you haven't played yet, and you're going to play in, in two or three weeks. And they do play Texas Tech after Kansas State. Um, so, yeah, it was it was kind of a – and I'm sure there's even inside the program a little bit of this, okay, wait a minute, uh, how much connection is there still between Joey McGuire, who started offering even Baylor commitments to come to Tech? And, you know, that's that's kind of like – I'm not saying that's not kosher. Joey's got to do its best for Texas Tech, but they started – I don't think rating, but they got a kid from the 2023 class, a linebacker from West Texas, to, to decommit and committed a week or two, a day or two later. Had a couple of others that, uh, uh, at least, are offered, and uh, he he went full throttle into recruiting because he's not really coaching tech. He's going to manage them, but it's a great question, and it was it was no question. And finally, midweek last week, I said this. And I don't mean to go too far on this, but I finally just kind of was doing a segment on our show on 365 Sports, and I was like, you know, all week they're playing number eight Oklahoma. First of all, even if it was 15th ranked Oklahoma, if it was unranked Oklahoma, it's Oklahoma. And there's too much talk about Joey McGuire gone and James Blanchard in the personnel department, recruiting department gone, and this and that. You got a game to play, and if you don't get that extracurricular stuff out of your mind as a fan or a player or a coach, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to let the TCU loss and the coaching change make it a two-game losing streak. And it was really remarkable just to see the heel turn by the staff, and in, in, in that sense, and to, to after coming off such a, such a poor performance against TCU, I think a lot of that was a byproduct of them going through a coaching change. They roll out Chandler Morris. You don't really have any kind of film on him. You don't know what he's going to bring to the table. So they, you know, TCU was able to throw a change up there and Baylor might not have been ready for that, but then to come back the following week and bounce back against, again, one of the best offensive minds in the game and Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma is remarkable. The way that Dave Aranda and company were able to rally the troops. And I did want to talk about Aranda just also kind of at a macro level here. Um, Got a little bit of a Baylor tie. You know, that guy, he comes from LSU. He replaced Kevin Steele, former Baylor coach there. Then he ends up coming to Baylor very late in the process in 2020, joins in January, mid-January. So he's only got a, a couple of weeks to get a a scramble class together and then COVID and everything else. So Baylor went through a fair amount of struggles as we all saw last season in 2020. What's been the most impressive thing uh, that you've witnessed in terms of the, the 180 that he did from 2020 to 21 and what was really the, the catalyst and all that? Well, a, a lot of these players that are here now that are making plays were a part of the nice surge under Matt rule. Uh, that doesn't mean Aranda hasn't allowed them to get better or help them get better or help them with their progression as players. But, you know, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie and JT Woods and some of these guys that are making plays now were a part of that run from after Bryles to 1-11 and to 7-6 and to 11-3 and where they had Oklahoma dead to rights at home and couldn't hold on and then almost beat them in the championship game, as you know, like two or three weeks later. And uh, and then lost to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But I, I think that has a lot to do with it. It's the interior leadership, kind of like even what I said last week, is there was a lot of stuff going on. Like 
like like a like you know fires burning everywhere. It wasn't that bad. I'm not trying to act like it was just like all hell was breaking loose, but it was kind of like a little bit of not so much chaos, but just kind of like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And there was a lot of distractions. They handled that as well as you could possibly imagine. They could have lost 27-24 to Oklahoma, and I would say the same thing. As long as they didn't go and then lay another egg like they did against defensively against TCU, um, that, then you would have thought, okay, they let TCU become two losses, and they also let the coaching change uh, maybe distract from them preparing for Oklahoma. Uh, I, I, Dave Aranda is such a unique individual. I, I'll tell you this. First time I met him was when he was introduced at Baylor in January of 2020. I had been told that he was not going to be someone that was, you know, Matt Rule was a dynamic talker, a dynamic interview. Art Browse, as successful as he was, he could control the room, and he was kind of like a, a one, not one-liners, but, you know, he was just it, different as well. This is a different guy. This is a, this is a man, you hear that word or that phrase, deep thinker. Uh, Jeff, if you don't mind, in the postgame, this is after they had just beaten Oklahoma. In the postgame, he was talking about a little bit of just getting through whatever is in the moment. For example, you fumble, get over it. You, you score a touchdown, get over it. You win a game, get over it. Lose a game, get over it. Uh, give up a first down, get over it. And this team has kind of had to learn that a little bit. You know, getting over either uh, the loss to Oklahoma State or maybe something that doesn't go right or whatever. He used the comparison. The analogy he brought up was, you know, you get up in the morning, you're having breakfast, and somebody burns your waffles. Get over it. Uh, <laughs> if if you, you have a ticket on an airplane. Now, this is who you have a ticket on an airplane, and you end up with a middle seat. Just deal with it and get over it. He can go Jedi. He can go Bruce Lee. He can go Socrates and Plato. I mean, he's got that ability. And I'll tell you what, the first time I interviewed him was mainly just about the moment, the opportunity, whatever else. And then – I got maybe one or two times we had him on, you know, spring drills once. And and then I started to have, and last year I used to be able to call him. It was because of COVID. I would call him and get an interview with him. That was eight to 12 minutes long. And there were times I felt like I always try to prepare for anything. I always have tried to do as much background on who I'm talking to to get to know him, just like I've done other coaches. And it, at times it wasn't as if, I mean, we did interviews and they were good, but I ha I learned from I was kind of learning from him, not as a player, but as just a person. He is so deep in the way he analog the analogies he uses, the philosophical things, uh, the psychology of things. Um, he is, and I and I, he, so I say that to say this. Last year, uh, Baylor wasn't the only pro a program that struggled with. Zoom meetings and not being able to have too much hands-on when it comes to being around your players or whatever else was going on, meetings, off-season, there was no spring drills. So he wasn't the only first-year head coach that didn't have spring drills. He wasn't the only coach that didn't have spring drills or even have much contact, even if you think about it during the spring and in the off-season, where at least you might see somebody at the field or the locker room or the football ops building or whatever – and then, of course, things were different because ups and downs, they got affected by COVID with a game that was canceled because of Law Tech. They had an issue, and then one time or two it was Baylor, uh, I think against Oklahoma State and Houston as well. And I just think he's different. He has to be able to get in front of his players. And I'm not saying other coaches don't, but he can't. you can't get to know him on a phone call. 
I don't think you can get to know him through a Zoom meeting with his face on a screen of your laptop or your phone. He's one of those that you have to be in front of him. And he's getting better and better with his media sessions, his press conferences. I think he's he himself is getting more comfortable. Dave Aranda would never want to be anything of the story. He never wants to be the story. That doesn't mean he doesn't think he's a hell of a coach or defensive mind or whatever or a head coach. He doesn't like I guarantee you. And I almost asked him this, but it was I, I got into it in a couple other ways. But when all hell was breaking loose at the end of the game Saturday and the, the kids rushed the field early and Baylor called a timeout and nobody knew what the hell was going on. You know who did? Dave Aranda did. And what he was doing was sending a signal to his kids and, and Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and whoever else. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's not like Oklahoma hasn't scored a touchdown in the last minute to beat somebody 70 to 10. But <laughs> Dave Aranda did not let the chaos of the first storming of the field or Lincoln Riley being out of his mind upset. And sure, maybe because of whatever was going on around players or whatever. But Dave Aranda never blinked. He could have said, ah, screw it. Let him rush the field. Run the clock. Forget it. He never blinked. He did not give two blanks about what Lincoln Riley was thinking or what the national media was thinking or what the TV audience was thinking or those in the stand. Because initially I was like, what is going on? He had a purpose. His purpose was because of the tiebreaker. People could argue that forever, but also sending a message to his kids, his team. We are in this. And I'm thinking about us being in the Big 12 championship game. If we earn it, we being Baylor, um, and, and he just never blinked. A lot of guys, would he got over emotional, they would have like said, oh, my God, this isn't worth it. He never lost focus of, at that specific moment, what was most important for his football program. He really is a fascinating coaching personality. And, and I think it's unfortunate the way that that antiquated, defensive-minded head coaching stigma just kind of leached itself onto him the way Baylor was losing games last season and all the the national pundits are out here talking about how he's not coaching the game the way that it needs to be coached and played in 2020. And I think he recognized that there might've been some shortcomings there as far as the way offense was being managed. And he brings in Jeff Grimes during the off season and, and lo and behold, things just kind of click into place really across the board for this team. That's why you see that, that drastic flip going from two and seven, all of a sudden now to eight and two here in 2021 now, that type of a, a 180 is going to draw the attention of a lot of programs and athletic directors. And in that regard, I imagine Baylor fans have to be pretty nervous. We've already seen the coaching carousel start to spin, and it happened very early on this year. Clay Helton gets the axe at USC. LSU and Ed Orgeron, poor guy, what have you done for me lately? Won the national championship two years ago, and LSU says, nope, marriage isn't working anymore. And most recently, a guy like Jimmy Lake at Washington only got 13 games in two seasons before they decide to drop the hammer on him. Dave Aranda's name is likely going to be on a lot of short lists. And to that point, do you foresee Baylor maybe uh, enriching the deal, so to speak, for his existing contract? You know, I have an opinion piece, and I'm not a writer. I mean, on occasion, I write the way I talk, and so that can sometimes, you know, I'm not a columnist. I'm not a beat writer. I've done talk show host, talk, talk show host and TV forever. Um, but on occasion, I'll spit something out just the way I think, and, and I'll let everyone else worry about the commas and the quotations and all that stuff. But obviously, I, I've seen this on our message board, Sikkim365.com. We've had 
texts and calls and chats and Twitter and people stop me at the grocery store about Aranda, Aranda, Aranda. Uh, you know, why don't they extend him? I'm against that. I'm against, here's and here's why. First of all, his name should be at the top of the list at Washington at Southern Cal. That's where he was from, Southern California. At Washington, because I mean, why not? It's 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 kind of like that blue blood program that's had a success. Although lately, after Peterson left, they've been up and down. He should be at, uh, at least a top high level name that's a part of LSU or whoever else. He's brilliant. Uh, he's proven in less than basically a year and a month or two that he does have a little bit of that ability to lead a football team. He was a great coordinator, highest paid coordinator in all of college football. Baylor didn't pay him just token money. It's not like he's making just a little bit of money. Baylor gave him a bunch of money, and they had to because of two reasons. They needed somebody to follow up with Matt Rule. It was kind of a little bit later in the process. And then also, remember, Jeff, they were still under the cloud of the NCAA investigation, and nobody ever really knew because the NCAA, about the time you don't think they have any bite, they're going to, like, rip your arm off just so they can say they can rip your arm off. But even that was something that was there. And so you're taking the job as Dave Aranda, and you're like, hmm. And, and it was before COVID because it was in January. So we really didn't know yet a little bit about what was about to come through the country. So he's making, let me tell you something, he's making good money, incredibly uh, competitive money. Uh, Mac Rose and I spoke on the phone a couple of nights ago, and we have him on every Tuesday as well. And, and here's the deal. There are going to be things that kick in, just like most any. I'm sure Chris Kleiman has some things that kick in if they make it to the Big 12 championship or play in the game or win it or bowl games, you know, those kind of things that just kind of obviously kick stuff in, not just bonuses, but might kick in an extra year or bump up a, a percentage. He's Dave Aranda's contract is incredibly, and Baylor's very quiet about that stuff, being a private school, but I'm telling you, his contract is very competitive. Now, you could extend him. They're 8-2. and two. What if they lose in Manhattan? Kansas State's playing great football right now. What if they were to then blank the bed and, and, and lose at home to Texas Tech, who's got this revitalization going on in Lubbock after the win against Iowa State? What if they finish 8-5? and five? You know, what if they run the table, then, yeah, his value is the same now as it would be in five weeks or six weeks or whatever. Uh, it's high. It's, he's probably the number one or two or three name on every coaching list of every AD's little piece of paper they have in their pocket. Oh, God, i got to get a football coach. Who do I call? And, and that doesn't mean that Aranda's agent's not taking calls, making calls, or not doing this, but I feel very comfortable. With Dave Aranda, I, I'm about to put out an opinion piece again. I don't know if it's written very well or not, but it's just me. I wouldn't bet against anything anymore in college football. I wouldn't bet against Jimbo Fisher and A&M. I wouldn't bet against anything other than Nick Saban leaves Alabama on his own will, no matter what was to happen to him. And so other than that, I don't bet on anyone ever leaving because that's just the nature of the coaching profession. We've seen that happen. Matt Rule got an extension the year that they were – Unbelievable. They beat Iowa State. He got an extension after the game. Everyone knew Matt Rule's final destination would most likely be being a head coach in the NFL. He made that very clear. But even then, even though he was always looking at the Colts, the Jets, and eventually the Panthers, it took a billionaire, a billionaire in, uh, in Tepper, to give him like an outrageous seven, eight, whatever million a year for seven or eight years and some control of the personnel department. And that's for a guy that was flirting and always was thinking about the NFL. 
But he did his job at Baylor. So extensions to me, only, do they really mean anything? Uh, Jimbo Fisher just got $10 million a year. Did that keep his name out of the headlines at LSU because of Woodward, <laughs> the AD? No. Um, and, and so I think that Aranda, I, in my opinion, from being able to talk to him, I, and I've had one or two conversations, and I say private, I'm just saying off the record, he's not going to sit down with me and go, listen, I'm not going to USC and I'm not going to LSU and I don't care about Washington. He's not going to say that to me. To me, that's almost a nuisance to him. I think Dave Aranda and Baylor are a perfect fit. I think Matt Rule and Baylor were a perfect fit at the time. I don't know if our bras would have ever left Baylor had it not been for the scandal. But he also was looking and kind of at times name attached to Texas Tech where he graduated and played and name attached one time during a ball game week against with Texas. Then they went out and just like threw up all over themselves against Central Florida. Uh, so I don't ever say never, but I have a feeling. This is a gut feeling, and I could be fooled. I have a gut feeling that this is a really interesting, unique fit, just like he's a unique person. And I think Dave Aranda will be Baylor's head football coach next year. And if I'm wrong, I don't care. It doesn't affect me. But the fans are a little bit nervous. You know, why don't extend him? And I gave you a reason why not. not I mean, why, why you shouldn't. Uh, now, if they run the table, if they win a tough, what I think is going to be a knockdown, dragout game, against K-State, if they follow up and they beat Texas Tech and they go 10-2, and and they still, whether they get to the Big 12 championship game or not, yeah, but it's not like Baylor. Baylor, I was told this very early when I arrived in Waco in 2010, and I was talking about facilities, and they had really done a nice job of upgrading some of them, and, of course, then they eventually going to build a new stadium, and that was, you know, that still took a little time. But I had a guy contact me one time when I was talking about money in Baylor. He said, listen, you're really pretty good at what you do, but there's one thing you don't have a clue. Don't ever underestimate how much money Baylor has. If Baylor wants something, they will find it. They have billionaires, too. They have multimillionaires, too. Names on buildings and even some that haven't even put their names on buildings. But don't ever underestimate what Baylor can do. Now, if USC had some guy, some person out of the blue say hey i want to give him eight or nine million a year i'll pay for it you know because that's the way sometimes this works if somebody does that and he leaves okay so that's why i said don't bet against it and i'm not saying that that won't happen but i have a very this is in my gut jeff that this man is so unique i think he understands baylor gave him an opportunity he's doing well he still wants to make this his program they're about to build a football ops uh, a facility that they wanted on the Brazos River across from the stadium. And I think Dave Aranda's uh, fingerprints, footprints, whatever you want to say, are going to be all over it. I think that that's kind of like his baby. And I think he knows he has a chance to, like, this is his. Grant Tapp was here a long time, did some good things, turned him around, beat Texas, won a Big 12, uh, won a Southwest Conference title early on, won two of them. Uh, he's kind of always been the guy. And then, if you know, look at Scott Drew. Scott Drew could get any job in America right now, any job in America. He is as entrenched in Baylor and will be, I would think, until the day he dies or the day he retires. And he's got – he just won a national championship. There was no doubt anybody could have, like, tried to money whip him. He's getting paid good money. He's a perfect fit for Baylor because of his personality and his beliefs. Kim Mulkey would never have left until the fact there was an administration change, AD change, and she started to be told no. 
on a few things that she always was told yes. Even with the national titles and the dominance of what she had, you know, you never know the circumstances, but it, it, they have kept their coaches. Now, they've lost football coaches, okay, a lot of times because they weren't very good. But, and then once, because unfortunately, because of the, the scandal of what happened in the mid parts of the 2010 decade, I think Dave Aranda, and I'm sorry to go so long, you can hear my passion. I think he is so unique, and I do believe, and you could play this back if he leaves, but I do believe he's going to be around a lot longer than most people realize. I won't call you on it there, Smokey, no. Uh, and, and I think you, you brought up so many points that my, my friends and I, we actually touched on that uh, before one of our shows, just how remarkable it's been because we, we when we were growing up, we remember those those Kevin Steele Baylor teams, those Guy oh, Morris teams, yeah. they, were, they were just a, a punchline of the Big 12. And you talked about the money too. Don't underestimate the money. I would say to that point, I would say even if Dave Aranda were to go, quote unquote, to greener pastures elsewhere, if it's USC, if it's LSU, wherever it may be, I, I think Baylor has ascended to a point now with with the beautiful new football stadium, the new, uh, again, the, the buildings that they're erecting right now. I don't think there's going to be any shortage of candidates that would love to come and coach right off of I-35 and have access to all that Texas talent. And especially now with the changing landscape of the Big 12, that's a job yep. where you can go in. And are, are, who, who are you really intimidated by from a recruiting standpoint in the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma gone? Now all of a sudden you feel like you can recruit and be one of the top programs in the conference. I, I think Baylor is an as attractive job as any, even if Aranda does leave. So yeah, and, and they, you know there was a Nike there was a Nike rep that was in town last week with the national championship banner was un, unveiled, who uh, gave a comment. In fact, uh, to uh, Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports told us this on a, on a segment earlier this week. He was here for the weekend. A Nike rep said he thinks Baylor is the next Clemson. Now that doesn't mean football success like Dabo Sweeney's had. We don't know that. That's a long way down. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's in uh, two years or 20. But as far as what they can accomplish, because Clemson, at, it's not that they weren't a blue blood in a way in college football, but they kind of disappeared, you know? Uh, and and, and that, that's the Nike rep who felt that way about Baylor. Now, he represents Baylor for Nike, so of course he's going to compliment them as well. Bill Snyder, I'm, I, and you know, and you may not know this, I'm born in Omaha, Nebraska, lifelong Nebraska fan, and you might now not want to run this segment, but at the same time, and they're just a train wreck with who they have been the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years. Bill Snyder took Kansas State in what is the greatest rebuilding job in the history of college football. Not only once, he did it basically twice. Gary Barnett, what he did at Northwestern, is another one. Even Art Browse at Baylor. Um, but Bill Snyder, I mean, people wanted him to go somewhere else. He was a fit. It's perfect. The culture, his personality, his beliefs, the landscape, the people. It was perfect for him. And look what he did. And I think that you never know. And we don't see Lavelle Edwards anymore. We don't see Tom Osborne forever at Nebraska. We don't see Bobby Bowden, the late Bobby Bowden, forever at Florida State. And, of course, up until all hell broke loose, Joe Paterno forever at Penn State. And, and all the coaches that we you know, kind of saw. Bear Bryant forever at Alabama. That's just like, you know, Gary Patterson, 21 years. He was, he and Mike Gundy were like at the very top of whoever had coached somewhere for a long, long time. He's even gone, but that just doesn't happen anymore. So it is in three to five to seven year spurts. Jimmy Johnson once said, who had all the great success in college and in the NFL 
said, you know, you, you kind of every five years, Bill Parcells, every five years, you know, he was with the Giants longer than that. But they had that philosophy. If you stay a little bit too long, man, you never know when it might turn on you. There are no longer Bill Snyders in college football. I'm not saying Dave Aranda will be here more than two, three, or five years, but I do believe he's going to be here more than two, and I think he'll be here next year. And, and it is a great job. They pay well. The facilities are insane. They're about to build a new football ops program that's going to overlook the Brazos. It is a, I used to come to Waco to cover high school football, covered Baylor a few times, came to watch games to, to, like when Nebraska would play in Waco. And, and they had university parks that runs right like through the part of the, the campus, and they had the Ferrell Center. And, as, and, and I came back to take a job here in 2010, and I'll never forget the first day I was here, the hotel room I was going to stay in for a few weeks was not ready yet. So I went up and down at university parks, and there's the college football, the AFCA, basically almost not the College Football Hall of Fame, but it, here's that building. And then there's the, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame that used to be somewhere else. And then you had – the, the, the football building, the Simpson Athletics building, the indoor facility, and now on top of that you have state-of-the-art soccer, baseball, softball, tennis, indoor tennis. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And they're about to build a brand-new pavilion for basketball that may take a couple, two or three years. And the new football stadium, the new track and field. I'm not doing a commercial for Baylor. They could do their own commercial. But you're right, this place right now, it is absolutely on fire with what they're doing. And we do have two hot teams that are going to be meeting up in Manhattan this coming Saturday in the Kansas State Wildcats and the Baylor Bears. K-State, of course, riding its four-game winning streak coming into its senior day. Baylor feeling great about itself, having just upset Oklahoma. And the duo that was largely responsible for that win, the quarterback Gary Bohannon and running back Abram Smith, they tore up that Alex Grinch defense for over 250 yards on the ground. Smokey, what is it about this duo that is so hard to defend? Mentality. I know that sounds so silly because you have to have the guys who move people up front. You have to have running backs who have the ability to make and have the vision, the cut, the toughness or whatever. And Gary Bohannon, remember, he's been around. It seems like he's like in his sixth or seventh year. He's not, but it seems that way. And he was stuck behind Charlie Brewer. Uh, last year, the offense could not move anything. They could not have run the ball. And this is not to be like offensive, but I, at times you wondered if they could run the football in just you know air because they just didn't move anybody. Eric Mateos came in with Jeff Grimes. Jeff Grimes, both from Brigham Young, they had the great year last year. And, of course, Zach Wilson, the quarterback, had a lot to do with that. But Jeff Grimes talked about he was going to be violent. They were going to be violent on offense. I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting to watch because who they had back and what we had seen last year – they could, if it was second and three, it was a passing situation. If it was third and two, passing situation. And it is sometimes anyway. But if it was third or fourth and one, it, you just did not feel like if Charlie Brewer couldn't somehow slide for a quarterback sneak, then they weren't going to make it. And that's just true. That's the facts. They had like 700 and some yards rushing over nine games. They had that like in a matter of maybe three to four weeks this year. Abram Smith was a linebacker. He comes in. He was a great running back at high school, at Abilene High School in West Texas. Record-breaking running back as far as school records. Came to Baylor as a running back. They moved him to linebacker under Matt Rule because they felt like they needed that at the time. That's where he played last year. 
And earlier this year, when Jeff Grimes arrived with Mateos, Mateos said, listen, this is not a talent issue. This is a mentality issue. This is a confidence issue. This is a, an experience issue. They had a couple of transfers come in. Jacob Gall from Buffalo that ran for like 400 yards a game last year. Um, they had what I think Blake Miller had came in from Vanderbilt, was a guy that was very good for them last year. And then some of the other guys just grew up. You know, they, they grew up into young men. And but the the Gary Bohannon is probably not going to be somebody that you want to throw the ball more than 25 to 30 times a game. That doesn't mean he can't. He can throw it deep. He can throw the deep out. He can do it pretty much make all the throws. But that's not what he it's not that he's a bus driver because he was much more than a bus driver. He was the bus in that win against Oklahoma. You have to start with what Grimes and Mateos brought to the table. Grimes, a former offensive line coach and his mentality. Because we saw a little bit of it in the spring game, Jeff, and I'm still thinking, ah, okay, are they going to do that against somebody else? And they've done it. Oklahoma State tied them up pretty well, but even Smith broke a 50-yard touchdown run in that game. But other than that, they've run the ball against pretty much everybody. And it's not. And if they don't early, they don't get away from it. They don't just say, okay, we can't run the ball. They just keep pounding the rock. They, you know, you hear about that, cliches that coaches use. Gary Bohan and Gabe Baylor as well, the ability to stretch the field. Charlie Brewer who had a really great career at Baylor, and it was the reason they went to a bowl game after 1-11, and part of what they did the year that they went to the Sugar Bowl, although that team had a great defense. Uh, Gary Bohannon gave Baylor a chance to throw the deep ball, the deep out, the deep post, the deep fade, whatever you want to stretch the field. He doesn't always complete it. Uh, that's not like a fastball pitcher when they're younger. They can't hit the strike zone, but occasionally that's going to happen. Uh, he now is a weapon in the running game, which you always thought that's what he came to Baylor to be kind of a wildcat guy. But he's the highest rated quarterback to ever come to Baylor. Now think about that. He was higher rated than RG3. He was actually about the same rating as Jarrett Stidham, who came in from Stephenville High School, eventually went to play at Auburn. He was the highest rated quarterback in Baylor. Now they've, that, that says a lot considering who they've had, Seth Russell, Bryce Petty, among others. And he just had to sit there and marinate. You'd see him on occasion run a couple of times, you know, a fourth or third and short, whatever. They'd run him in the power formation, whatever. He's grown up along the way. He's had his problems. He's thrown some bad picks. He threw one against TCU that ended the game. Uh, he threw a couple against Texas. It could have been deadly. Um, but he's just, he seems to be, he still has this effusive smile, even when, like, things aren't great. I think Saturday for him was one of the best moments he might ever experience. He hopes he has even bigger moments, but he was phenomenal in that game against Oklahoma. And then Abram Smith brings a linebacker's mentality, which I told you that story, but he's the guy who was kind of not a blue chip running back because he had injured his ACL in high school. His junior year, he runs a, two, a 200 meters like in 21-8, gets the attention of Tulsa. Baylor kind of hears about him. And then they have the coaching transition. Matt Rule and company still offer him. He comes to Baylor. He's not going to play a lot. Not going to play much. They move him to linebacker. John Lovett leaves to go to Penn State, who would be perfect in this offense. They move Abram Smith earlier this spring into the running back position. And now we're having a guy that's on his way to maybe breaking the record for most rushing yards for Baylor in a, in a season. Uh, with great names that they've had at running back. It's just the wide zone, the wide zone offense. If you can't move somebody straight back, why not allow them to move themselves with the wide zone? That doesn't mean Baylor can't hammer somebody with their running game, but let's find a way to use physics. So let's go wide zone. 
And then you start gaining confidence because you're moving people. And then you have a one-cut running back like Abram Smith. And then you're starting to feel like, okay, we could also just move somebody backwards on occasion as well. It has been the most unbelievable. You talk about a 180 from last year to this year. The biggest 180 is not their record of 2-7 and seven to 8-2. and two. The biggest 180, Jeff, has been what they've done with that running game to pound people, make them like it, and not give up on it as well. Those two are unbelievably dynamic. Abram Smith, the Big 12's leading rusher right now, over 1,200 yards already through the first 10 games. On the flip side, you just talked about Gary Bohannon. Uh, remarkable that he elected to stay, too, in this era yeah. where everybody, if we're not starting as a redshirt freshman or a sophomore, we're out the door. And this guy elected to stay, not just and sit behind somebody in Charlie Brewer, who I, I feel like most most fans might say that there was a limitation, a ceiling that you would hit with him. He obviously didn't have the kind of success that I'm sure he wanted to when he transferred over to Utah. But that that being said, there was a ceiling with Brewer. Bohannon mm -hmm. had to sit behind and watch that, and he still is able to come through. And now he's second in the Big 12 in total touchdowns this year with 25, only behind Texas's Casey Thompson in that regard. Those two have been just a, a thrill to watch. Uh, not so much, again, if you're a defensive coach in this conference, but right. they've been right. really entertaining to watch on that front. Now, um, I did want to shift gears and talk defensive side of the ball. And, and this was a group last year, it, they – they really probably didn't get the credit that they deserve because there was that ceiling with the offense. Baylor's defense kept them in a lot of games last year. They, they weren't many, you know, losing 48 to 14 type contests. Baylor was losing games by seven points, 10 points. And a lot of that was just because that defense getting worn down because they're on for so many snaps, not having a lot of help from the offense to just give them breathers and, and help, you know, just extend some drives, keep the defense off the field for a couple of additional, you know, plays per game. So I think that's been a big reason why the defense has been and has been able to continue its play now, but you look up and down this, this group and it's really, there's guys at every level to, you know, Terrell Bernard and Dylan Doyle, a couple of linebackers in the top 10 in the conference and tackles. They got three guys in the top, Top 10 and passes defended. I guess who are some of the guys that we, we should really be watching for on this defense coming up on Saturday? Man, they do. They turned Caleb Williams and even Spencer Rattler and that Oklahoma running game was just non-existent with a really good player in Kennedy Brooks. They just kind of turned him into a pretzel. And, you know, especially after the week before when Chandler Morris just lit them up and not just with his yardage passing, but what he did getting away from pressure it's almost as if they just didn't know, you know, what to do with him. And, uh, and, and he just, just I, was, I was like, wow, because that's a good defense that got embarrassed in, in Fort Worth. Uh, a couple of guys, Terrell Bernard, All-American type linebacker. Last year, remember, hurt himself in the game against Iowa State. Was very good. At the end of the year, when they went to the Sugar Bowl, they had Clay Johnston, who's now with the, uh, I think, with maybe moved to another team in the a NFC Central uh, Clay Johnston went to, to Carolina, was on Matt Rule's team for a while. I think he might be somewhere else, but he was a sideline to sideline, like tackling machine. He gets hurt, tears his ACL. Terrell Bernard comes in his first game at Oklahoma state has a scoop and score. He's really good. Uh, he of course is a major part of it. He was a monster against Oklahoma, nine tackles, two tackles for a loss and two separate sacks of quarterbacks, Jalen Petrie, number eight, and Bernard's two. Jalen Petrie is a great story because he was the only commit when Matt Rule took the job. He was the only one that signed early. 
He was the only one committed to Matt Rule when a rule, and actually I don't think there was an early signing period. So he was the only one when they had the transition. He stuck with Baylor. He wanted to play at Baylor. He is like, there are times you don't know where he is. Like you think he's coming to to pressure the the quarterback, and then all of a sudden you see him pick it off a pass 20 yards down the field. He is, uh, he's he's kind of the heartbeat of that defense. Safety JT Woods has had a couple of defensive touchdowns, makes big plays, um, that's another name, the safety uh, for Baylor as well. But what's really been interesting to watch is that 2019, their defensive line had NFL guys. James Lynch was an NFL guy. Bravion Roy's an NFL guy. Even uh, Lockhart did not. He went to an NFL camp. He's not in the NFL. He's on the Baylor staff right now. They would just absolutely just annoy people, and they could put pressure on the quarterback, which has at times been Baylor's problem this year because they've gone big up front, and sometimes it affected their their pass rush, and they had to bring people from different angles. They finally were able to kind of do that the last week against Oklahoma. It wasn't just Bernard from a blitz or uh, Petrie from an angle. The defensive front also put pressure on Oklahoma as well. So I I, I do think, but the the three main, if you, like, I I have a vote for an All-American. Jalen Petrie, to me, has had an All-American year, the safety. He's kind of a hybrid uh, linebacker safety. Terrell Bernard uh, last weekend was at an All-American level. He's been good, and then J.T. Woods has been good. But I would think those three names. Now, they, they can run. Jeff, they can run to the football. I can't remember who it was, and I don't know if it was Matt Campbell or who it was early in the year when Baylor played, and after the game they said, that might be the fastest defense I've ever seen. And that's from somebody that has been around a while, You know, a, a, someone who's seen probably pretty good speed on defense. They can flat-out run to the football. A couple of times they've been able to prevent Brees Hall, instead of getting 75, he get 40. That doesn't mean he didn't break a long run. Uh, they've given up some deep balls because, well, they've given up some deep balls because sometimes you're going to do that in this day and age. Uh, but those are the guys. Terrell Bernard, uh, inside linebacker, two. And then Jalen Petrie, who's eight. They've had some guys step up, younger players making plays. Uh, they've got the big transfer from LSU, Siaka Ika. 62. He's a 350, whatever you want to call him, might be 375 pound nose tackle that disrupts people. It took him a while to kind of make some plays this year. Had a big batted down pass that entered uh, interception against Iowa State in a win at home. He he's kind of a fun loving dude, man. He is uh, he's a force inside. So those are some of the names I think you would to look at with the, with Baylor on defense. Be very intriguing to see how K-State's offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham elects to attack this group. This K-State team has, at times, struggled to to run without the threat, especially now without the threat of Skylar Thompson's legs. At least the way that we anticipated him being able to run early in the season, sustaining the the injury, so that's kind of limited him in that regard. So, it's going to be. Uh, a lunch pail type game, if you will, for Kansas State. Uh, there's going to be a lot of hat on hat. I, I think the uh, the over under on this one is set at 47. So the folks in the desert expecting a low scoring affair. Uh, I think we're in for a good game either way. Uh, both of these teams obviously vying for bowl position. Baylor still, as you mentioned, has the carrot out there of the, mm-hmm. potentially making the Big 12 championship and uh, also potentially, depending on how the, the cards fall here, dodging Oklahoma. And that's one of those things that I don't think anybody wants to see Lincoln Riley twice in this conference. So if you can get another crack at a Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State team, I think everybody in, in Waco would certainly feel better about their prospects there. So ton 
on the table still for both of these teams. And with that being said, I kind of wanted to put a bow on this one. What's your gut feeling for this coming Saturday? How do you feel this one's going to play out? And what's your uh, prediction on the score? Uh, you know, I could be like it, it maybe a Rocky movie, you know, blood, you know, pain, whatever. I, <laughs> I, I, I have great respect for Coach Kleiman. We had him on during Big 12 media days. I like his style. I, I uh, you know, Skylar Thompson is someone that could give Baylor some problems with, and he's playing uh, at a nice level. I know there was times up and down and out, um, and, and what he brings, obviously. Um, Oh my God! I didn't mean to go blank. The running back that can go anywhere at any time. Deuce um, yeah, Vaughn, Deuce Vaughn. I know him because I voted. I'm in the Earl Campbell, Tyler Rose Award. We just went to the uh, the, the 16, I guess you could say, semifinalists, or, and and he's the guy that I voted for. Deuce Vaughn. I mean, God, I love the, I love watching him play. He, I, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I don't sleep at night because of him, and, and I know what Kansas State can do. I mean, they're really good. I would say that here's one thing that Dave Aranda's teams have not done. Uh, yes, they won a non-conference game at Texas State, and they should have, and they didn't look good doing it. But that was early on when they were trying to get themselves and their feet, uh, their legs on the ground. Uh, the game against TCU and the game against Oklahoma State, Jeff, they were both road games. Bottom line, road games. They had a very favorable schedule, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Brigham Young and Texas all at home. They have Texas Tech in two weeks at home. The Kansas game was on the road. Well, they've owned Kansas. Unlike Texas, they basically have owned. <laughs> uh, I had to get that in. Uh, they have really just gotcha. dominated Kansas. Even when they weren't very good, they've dominated Kansas. That was one of the two wins they had last year. So their road games, you know, West Virginia was at home. So their games have been, you know, their schedule's been very favorable. They need to figure out a way to go on the road and win a game. I think this is going to go down to the wire. I, I want to say like 23, 20. Uh, I don't, you remember, I think that's just under what you said, as far as the over under, I think these two teams, I think they will be both teams can force turnovers. Uh, I, if Baylor does run the ball the way that they're capable of running the ball, obviously that will set up maybe a, a deep throw. The key is also this Kansas state dynamic special teams, Baylor, Across the board, they have been really good special teams. Their punter and Isaac Power, uh, their kicker and, and Hankins, who's like his first year, gives them not just a guy who's accurate, but he's got a he's got a gun, a barrel, for, a cannon for a leg. And um, their coverage teams, Ebner in the kick return and punt return game, can take one back. Did earlier this year in a big moment. So I, I think it's going to come down. Obviously, it's, we say all that, and we go, oh, one team throws it up and maybe turns it over three times, they're not going to win the game. Uh, I think Baylor just a little bit of an edge, even on the road. A 430 kick is a strange kick. You start when there's sun or whatever, even overcast, whatever it's going to be, and next thing you know, it's dark. You know That's going to be yep. kind of neat. To me, that's a huge advantage for Kansas State. Not that you don't play at night. Everyone does. Baylor's played really well when they played early. I mean really well at 11 o'clock and 230. Um so I, I'm going to say Baylor 23-20, and honestly, I think it will not surprise me if Kansas State wins the game. It will not surprise me like it didn't surprise me if Oklahoma State would win the game. It stunned me with what happened at Fort Worth against TCU, but I'll say Baylor 23-20, and quite frankly, I'd flip a coin on who actually wins the game. 
And yeah, the, the, the overall line, it opened up, I think K-State was a two-point favorite. It swung back and forth now. So yeah, I think this is, this is very much a, a coin flip game. And to that point, I certainly do hope we, we get to see a great back and forth contest as we come down the home stretch here. So what you love to see in November, good competitive football between two programs oh. that certainly are on the rise here in this Big 12 conference. And, and just to kind of wrap things up, uh, since we've talked about the game here, um, I, I know we haven't had a chance really to discuss what will be the new look Big 12. We obviously don't know when that's going to happen. I think that's certainly going to come sooner rather than later. I do not expect Texas and Oklahoma to stick around uh, long any longer than they already have to. But if you could just offer up some of your thoughts on, on the incoming members and just how maybe you feel that they're going to change the landscape of this conference. You know, if you look at the big 12 and you take away, obviously Oklahoma is now in the middle, like 12, 13, whatever they are in the AP poll, Brigham Young's right there. Cincinnati, we know is trying to knock on that college football playoff door. Baylor is right outside the top 10. Oklahoma State in the top 10. I got to tell you, you know, Mississippi State has three wins against top 25 teams, but they're six and four. So they have some really nice wins, but they have a couple of bad losses too. Kansas State, I'm not saying this, Jeff, because I'm on your show. I'm not saying it because I know the audience is from Manhattan, Kansas, or Kansas. Kansas State not being in the top 25, in my opinion, is a crime. Uh, we know that the, sometimes people look at the top of that college football standings, Georgia, Alabama, whoever, and, and who's like three, four, five, six, who's looming. To me, you've got to look at the bottom. And it's always, it, I've said this for years, the SEC has a right to feel very proud of who they are because they've won a bunch of national titles. But they have this at the bottom when you see Arkansas peak in last week. And now Mississippi State, yes, nice win, came back against Auburn. Auburn had lost the week before. But uh, they kind of like, look at the bottom of the top 25. You know, it took forever for Houston to finally show up. Well, Houston helped Cincinnati. They'll play each other at some point, you would think. But it's interesting to me, Kansas State not being in the top 25. I don't care if it's 25 and tied. Somewhere in the top 25 with who they are, had the nice win early against Stanford. That was one of that really, you know, that kind of like, oh, and, and, yeah, they had to play the tough part of their schedule early on with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think they're a top 25 team. I think the Big 12, I know that sometimes everyone thinks the SEC invented football and that without Alabama and whoever else in the top four, then college football cannot have a playoff. And I understand I love Nick Saban and what he's done at Alabama. That's not to take a shot at them. I think the Big 12, I don't think they could have recovered any better with what happened late July and we were kind of all over some of the expansion or the, whatever you want to call it, the realignment early on. I think what Bob Bowlesby did, get off the mat, get off the canvas, blindsided, in some cases almost humiliated, to get Brigham Young in Cincinnati, and then to add UCF, who I think is the up and, you know, again, they've got work to do. And then on top of that, be able to, uh, to bring in Houston. And there was some angst about that. I think the Big 12, you know, Brigham Young beat Oregon last night in basketball. I don't know if you saw that or not. 81 to 49. Oregon's 12th in the country. We look yeah. at football because that's where the money is. Men's basketball, too. Cincinnati and their history in basketball. Houston, a Final Four team that Baylor beat in the semifinals. What UCF maybe could be at one point. What Brigham Young is now. And their, their arena, like, fills 20-some thousand people. Oh, I, I mean, Kansas. 
Baylor, what Chris Beard might do at Texas. I, I mean, I can't wait. I mean, I think Bob Huggins, Huggy Bear at West Virginia. I, I think what Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 did to recover from being cut off at the knees, there were people, and I guarantee you that Texas and Oklahoma, they were hoping that the Big 12 would implode and there was this. And I'm not so sure some of the stories about what teams might go here or there weren't planted by them. Why not? If the Big 12 implodes, they get to go and take their toys and money and make more money immediately. I think the timeline is going to be in that June-July time period of 2023. I I still think Texas and Oklahoma will be a part of the conference next year. I cannot wait for the new blood, the fresh blood, and maybe a conference for the first time ever that might actually be all in together. Now, yeah, I understand that West Virginia and the ACC or Kansas or whoever and whatever the Big Ten because of their basketball – and I've heard all the other things. Who Listen, I like where they are. I can't wait for the summer of 2023 when that's all kind of put together. And if Texas and Oklahoma want to wait around because they want to play games legal, whatever, hey, okay. I think what the Big 12 has also proven this year that sometimes it, it's, it's always like if Oklahoma and Texas aren't at the top of the football standings, then it wasn't a very good year. Oklahoma State. And Baylor, and, and, and on occasion you might think Iowa State, and what might still be Kansas State. I think they've proved it. Brigham Young is like beating up the Pac-12 in football. We know what Cincinnati's done, beat Notre Dame on the road. I, I think it's a conference that always got a bad rap, that if it wasn't the logos, Oklahoma and Texas in the, in, in, at the top, then the conference was down. That's the lazy, silly, very, very stupid narrative. The conference can survive without both of them. I know the money might still have to be looked at at some point. I think they're going to be in great shape. And I've even said this on occasion. Don't be surprised if there's not a chapter two because it's going to be about content, live content. And I think that there's still the opportunity. Watch what the Pac-12 does with their TV contract and network whenever that might eventually pop. It's kind of in a delay mode right now. I think the Big 12 will see that, react to it, eventually either keep where they are at 12. I think there's a really good chance they go to 16 with a Chapter 2 of realignment, and I think they're going to get more money per year than most people realize. It's not going to be SEC money. It's not going to be Big 10 money, but it will be probably more than the Pac-12. We know more than the ACC, and I think the Big 12 in the end is going to be just fine. Love to end it on a positive note there, and you mentioned kind of having – all oars pulling together with the members that are going to be presumably in by 23, whatever the year happens to be. Um, I I think that's honestly kind of the date that everybody's looking forward towards is once we, we cut out those, those two that have been in in a way cancerous to, to this conference, just because there was always that looming threat because they did control so much from again, the national narrative, and you, you bring up that talking point again, where it, it was so unfortunate to hear, you, you know, you hear ESPN talk about what happens when, you know, Baylor wins the conference in 2013, or what when it was Baylor, TCU, and 14, K-State winning it in 2012, Oklahoma State in 2011, and, and there's that horrible stigma that, well, why, why aren't the Blue Bloods thriving now? Why It's, it's clearly a down year, and I, I think that just goes to show you that these programs that 
that have these smaller stadiums that have these smaller, you know, endowments and all of the things that people want to look at that, who, you know, for all, for all intents and purposes, don't really mean anything in terms of the football product you put out on the field. I think it just goes to show that this conference and all the, the member institutions that will be in here moving forward do still really play high caliber, high level football that deserves to, that power five distinction, whatever it will ultimately end up being in a couple of years. So I love to end it on the positive note there, Smokey. I, I certainly appreciate your time there uh, on that front and, and giving us so much insight on Baylor and everything in between. Uh, before I let you go though, Smokey, if you could tell our listeners, where can they check out your content? Well, uh, on Twitter, and uh, which is kind of like walking into a jungle at times, of course, the way Twitter can be. But it, at, at David Smoke, D-A-V-I-D-S-M-O-A-K, Paul Catalina, my son Craig, and I, we host a show, Sikkim 365 Radio. It's online, Sikkim365.com. is an app, Sikkim 365. And what has exploded for us because of what happened in late July with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC was our show was on YouTube, but it was just kind of there. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it has absolutely just exploded across coast to coast because fan bases that were wondering about what about us, like even West Virginia or Kansas State or perhaps others in the conference, Texas Tech. Uh, And then the other ones like, wait a minute, if the Big 12, I started reporting about Brigham Young and that's not that's a no brainer. Or UCF, was it going to be UCF or Memphis? Or was it going to be Cincinnati and Houston? And eventually, will it be somebody else? And I mean, it's it's on YouTube channel. It's just 365 Sports. YouTube, go to 365 Sports. Our ownership built a state-of-the-art studio for us here in Waco, just about a mile from McLean Stadium. We are having the, the, the time of our life. The journey has been amazing. All of us, it, it's like, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that it's, every day's perfect, but it, that's where you can find us, those different outlets. And, and, I've lo- and I interact with people. The chat room on our YouTube channel is, oh, my God, it's like a daycare center. But it's fun. And I'm telling you, there are fan bases from everywhere that are a part of that. So we'd love to have some people if you want to talk K-State football. Like I said, we had Coach Kleiman on during Big 12 media days. I love what Vaughn is, the running back, Skylar Thompson, what those guys are doing. I can't wait to watch the game. I, I have no idea what the ending's going to be, but that's how you can find us. We'll talk about it all the time. Big 12 football, baby. It's still alive. It is doing very, very well. Love the infectious attitude from Smokey as we get set to close out the show. Again, check out his work at Sikkim365. You can also follow him on Twitter at David Smoke. That's S-M-O-A-K. That is going to do it for your midweek opponent preview episode. I, along with the rest of the podcasts, Justin Nutter, Alex Beth, and Clint Wilson, will all be back in your podcast feed later on this week in the episode in which we will analyze K-State's 34-17 victory over West Virginia, and we'll also offer up our predictions for the Wildcats Senior Day contest against the Baylor Bears. Won't want to miss it. Again, we'll have that in your feed by Thursday afternoon. Many thanks again to Smokey for offering up his insight on the Baylor program. Thanks again to you, our loyal listener, for the download or the stream on whatever your preferred app is. One last call to arms here to follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And with all that being said, I'll close it out the way that we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.